Thanks, Wayne. Good morning, everybody. I love it when I know what we're preaching on, and then I listen to what we sing, and I listen to what James says, and I listen to the words that come in, and I can just nod my head and say, sure, Lord, you definitely know what you want to say to us this morning. Um, this morning, we are finishing off the fourth part of our four-part series, Behold Your King. You've seen the banner up, and if you've been here during our holiday period, we've been spending four weeks looking at this series on Behold Your King. And this morning, if we had to rewind, I know because I was listening and I knew what we were preaching on, you would have heard we said a lot about your kingdom come, Lord. And we sang about behold our king and how great this king is. And um, this morning, we're going to finish the fourth part of that. And um, I'm really hoping that we would grasp this idea of who our king is, who the kingdom that we are part of, what this kingdom is about. So let me give a quick recap. The first week of the four, we looked at who the king is. He said, who is this king? And what we see in scriptures, God promises to us, he says, I'm going to give you a king. And he says, the king that I'm going to give to you, he will reign forever. He'll rule for eternity. And this king will be the king over all other kings. Uh, he'll be a king over all people, all nations, all tribes, all cultures. He'll be a king of all ages. As ages have come and gone as empires have passed by, this king will forever reign. And we see that the Bible reveals that this king is Jesus, the Son of God. He's promised, he's given. And right now, today, as we are alive in this very moment, that king, King Jesus, he rules and reigns and will continue to reign for eternity. We looked at that in the first part. The second part, we looked at, well, if this is the king, he must have a, a kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ? What is it like? And so what we looked at was some of the descriptions that the Bible gives us. Now, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus, is, he often uses this phrase, the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells us a bit of a parable or he gives an analogy, he compares it to a mustard seed, he compares it to a fishing net, he does a whole lot. And what he's trying to do is reveal to us just how incredible the kingdom of God is. Um, and so uh, we see the might of this kingdom, we see the mystery of the kingdom, but we see how this kingdom is eternal. We see how all other kingdoms will come and go. And you can, if you enjoy your history, you'll know there was the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, there was the Ottoman Empire. You would see how, how empires have come and gone, how they've uh, risen and how they've passed on. But Jesus says, but my kingdom, it'll never end. It'll never ever cease. And then last week, we had a look at how, now that we know the king, now we know he has a kingdom, how you and I, we are called to belong to this kingdom. And so every single one of you, whether you like it or not, you belong to a kingdom. You do. As you are born, you belong somewhere. Possibly you all have an ID book. If you're South African, you've got that ID book. If uh, you're not South African, you've got something else that gives us some of your identity. Well, that's somewhere where you belong. But in your heart and in your mind, if I said, who do you belong to? What's your identity? What kingdom are you part of? If I use that language, you might try to rack your brain and say, well, I guess I belong to these people and this ruler and this land and this is who I am. Well, Jesus says to us that when he saves us, he says, I would want to become your king. And as he becomes your king, he says, I welcome you into my kingdom. You take on a new citizenship. Now, we don't have a little book in our back pocket that says, I am a, a, a citizen of heaven. We have something more. We have the Holy Spirit deep within us who says, I'm changing your identity, and um, we belong to this kingdom. And this morning, what I want to end by looking at as the fourth part, 
is now that we know the king, now that we know his kingdom, now that we know we belong to this kingdom, I want you and me to know that we can see and experience this kingdom right now in the world today. So we're going to have a look at that. How do we see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ right now, even now? So knowing all of this, the question we might be asking is, will I only experience this kingdom I'm a part of one day? And will I only get to meet this King Jesus one day? Is this a one-day event that we're speaking about? Is this a hope that's to come that we're looking at? That when this world ends, and only when this world ends, are we saying that only then do we get to see the kingdom of God, this eternal kingdom, and only then do we get to see the king? You might be wondering, do we get to see it now? Well, let me confuse you a little bit, and hopefully I'll unconfuse you as I preach on. But if you still are confused by the end of this preach, please come see me, because then I've done my job badly. But let me confuse you a little bit. The kingdom of God that we're preaching about, the kingdom of God that God tells us about, it has come, but it is still coming. The kingdom of God has come partly and not fully. And the kingdom of God is present right now, but it's also future. Let's have a look at some verses where Jesus explains some of that. If you have your Bible, we're going we're gonna to look at a number of verses this morning. It would do you well just to take note of them, even if you just jot out your phone and go to notes and just write down these verses. Have a look at them through the week. Because this is something God wants to speak to us about. So I encourage you, use your Bible, use your notes. Don't just take down extensive notes. Please don't do that. But just write down these scriptures and just pray about them. Think about them during the week. And we're going to go through a few of them this morning. So the first is from Luke 17. In Luke 17, verse 20, a lot of times people asking Jesus about the kingdom, this is what they said. Being asked by the Pharisees, speaking to Jesus, when the kingdom of God would come, that's the question you and I have been asking. When, Lord, will your kingdom come? Jesus said to them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now what you and I will do and what the Pharisees were doing, what Israel was doing, is what we normally would do as people. We're saying, where's this physical evidence of this kingdom? What Israel was waiting for was for a, a, a literal king who wore a crown, who sat on a throne, who had a robe, and had a physical army all around him who was going to free Israel from the Roman Empire. That was their belief. Their belief is that the Messiah was going to be a real literal king right there and then that they would crown, and his kingdom would overthrow the kingdom of Rome. And so they're saying, when is this kingdom coming? And Jesus says to them, you're not going to see it in ways that you think, or perhaps ways that you want to. But actually what he's saying is, with me here, with Jesus being with them, so in a large way, the kingdom of God is right here in your midst. Let's look at the next verse, Matthew 12, verse 28. Jesus says, I hear pages turning, so I'll wait. <laughs> Matthew 12, verse 28, Jesus says, If it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What is he saying there? Jesus says every time that he is preaching truth, every time that Jesus was bringing revelation of the gospel, every time that Jesus would, would, would perform a miracle, a healing, 
Every time we would pray for someone with a demon and see them freed, or someone in bondage and see them freed, this morning we sang about how our chains are gone. If you feel free this morning, there's a miracle that happened, and we sang about, Lord, do a miracle this morning in our lives. We sang that the kingdom of God would come right now in this moment. Jesus says, if, the, if, if you see someone healed, if you see someone freed of the demonic, if you see someone freed of bondage, he says, there, the kingdom of God is there with you there, in that place. The kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying in all of these moments, we see the kingdom of God over and over again. So this morning, if something miraculous happened in your heart, if some revelation came, if some hope and joy, if some restoration, if God and through these words spoke to you and you knew it, the kingdom of God is among you. It's here right now in this very moment. But then, let's have a look at Luke 19, verse 11. In Luke 19, now to look at where Jesus says, well, there's more to this than the kingdom coming right now. Verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So you realize they were, they were expecting the kingdom of God's coming right now. In fact, it says that they prepared this crown and that a, a number of the followers who followed Jesus, they wanted to put this crown on his head and name him there and then the king of Israel. And then Jesus goes on and says, well... Let me help you out with something. Unless you eat my flesh, you can't be with me. Unless you drink my blood, you can't be with me. And very quickly their hearts changed and they all left. Just like that. From wanting to crown him to fleeing him, Jesus knew there was more to it. But he sensed that they, that they wanted the kingdom to come right now. He says, no, not right now. Not exactly. And then lastly, let's have a look at Acts 1 from verse 6. Jesus is crucified Jesus has risen from the dead. He meets with his disciples. He meets with hundreds of his followers. He reveals himself to them. And he explains why everything had to happen the way it did. He explains the Old Testament prophecies, but still the disciples don't quite grasp the idea of the kingdom. Let's look what they say to him in verse 6. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time, now that you've died, now that you've risen, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And look what Jesus says to them. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you know how the rest of that verse would go. Look what he's saying. Again, the disciples are saying, and now Jesus, you told us the parable a while ago about not yet. What about now? What about now? It kind of sounds like kids on a trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Same answers one minute ago, my boy. Are we there yet? Same answers 30 seconds ago. Are we there yet? No. They're saying, has the kingdom come? Has the kingdom come? Has the kingdom come? He says, the kingdom is in your midst. The kingdom has come upon you. But it's not here right now. And when the kingdom fully comes, only the Father knows the times and the dates. But while you are waiting, know this. The Holy Spirit has come upon you to give you power. You'll know the kingdom. You'll experience the kingdom. Can you see the two tensions Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom of God? It's here in so many ways. The kingdom of God is right here for us to experience, to see, to know, to feel, to witness, to be a part of. But the truth as well is, is that the kingdom has not yet come in its entirety, in its fullness. I like, I like this uh, short explanation John Piper gives. I'm going to read this for us. 
Listen to what he says about how we get to know the kingdom of God right now in this very moment. Look what he says. And finally, the encouragement. The kingdom really has arrived. Unprecedented fulfillments of God's purposes are in the offing, meaning they're to be had. The king has come. The king has dealt with sin once for all in the sacrifice of himself. The king sits at the father's right hand and reigns now until all his enemies are under his feet. The king's righteousness is now already ours by faith. The king's spirit is now already dwelling in us. The king's holiness is now already being produced in us. The king's joy and peace have now already been given to us. The king's victory over Satan is now already ours as we use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The king's power to witness is now already available to us. And the king's gifts, the gifts of his Spirit, are now already available for ministry. And now with a sober awareness of the mystery of the kingdom, the kingdom that's present but also future, fulfilled but not yet consummated. Let us go on as a church to seek the kingdom first, to discover all that we should be for the salvation of lost sinners and the glory of King Jesus. That's beautifully summarized and described by John Piper, saying, we have all of this now. So as the church, see the kingdom now. Embrace the kingdom now. But also know that the kingdom that we taste and experience now is not the fullness of it. More is to come. The totality of God's kingdom will one day be revealed. You see, when God created the world, he created the world in union, heaven and earth. Heaven and earth were made one when God created the world. He walked on this earth with Adam and Eve. He walked in the garden with them. But heaven and earth were separated by our sin. The moment you and I choose to sin, we choose to separate God's kingdom from this world, from this earth. But the good news is that the story of the Bible is God wanting to reunite, to create a new union between heaven and earth once again. We read this in Ephesians 1, verse 9 to 10. It says this, Making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, this is the plan, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's God's desire. That's God's will. That's his plan. God's plan is that the things of heaven and the things of earth will be united once again. The way that God created it to be. The way that it was before our sin came and broke it apart. The good news is this will happen completely one day. The Bible tells us that we will live in a new heaven and a new earth. That's the promise. That's our hope. That's the kingdom that we are told that we are a part of, that we belong to. A new heaven and a new earth. No separation from God. No separation from the fullness of His Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. No separation from all the goodness and the perfection of God's kingdom. One day, you and I will experience this kingdom in its completeness. Heaven and earth as one. But for now, while you and I still remain on this place called earth... Now we get to taste some of it. We get to see some of it. We get to experience some of it. Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, says, this is what you must pray. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Where? 
on earth as it is in heaven. So while we are still alive on this planet, you and me, for the 90 years, the 100 years, I don't know, some of you don't want to get that far in your age. However long you feel God's going to give you on this planet, that's our heart. Lord, may I taste and see your kingdom as much as I can now. And one day, I'll taste and see it fully. This should be our prayer. This should be our hope. But if we believe this, this has to impact the way you and I choose to live. We should be living, desiring to see God's kingdom now. Which is really hard because you are bombarded by this world. This kingdom of this world is trying to pull you away. It's trying to blind us. It's trying to tell us what we aren't. It's trying to tell us what we can have right now in this moment. It says, forget about what God wants to give you someday. Let me tell you what this kingdom gives immediately. Even the devil said that to Jesus. He says, if you bow to me now, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus just looks at him and says, be gone, Satan. Scripture's clear. You'll bow to no one but God. The temporary satisfaction that this world will give you compares nothing to the fullness of the kingdom of God that reigns forever, that will never be overcome defeated. If you and I choose to live for this kingdom, the promise is this. This kingdom will come to an end. This world will fail. I was actually amazed. We sang that this morning. Did you pick up that line? It said there that when this earth will fade away, you sang it. <laughs> Did you know Did you believe it? You might want to retract what you sang and say, wait, Lord, I don't know. Do I want this earth to fade away? Well, the Bible's clear. It will fade away. Why? So that the new earth and the new heaven will come and be one. And that is our home. Jesus says this in Matthew 13, verse 11. He says, speaking to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. I can say this to you and me this morning. To us it has been given to know the secrets of heaven. You should know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He then says in verse 16, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You and I, we this morning are in such a privileged position. There are prophets, there are righteous people who longed to know what you and I know this morning. That the kingdom of God is real. That the kingdom of God has come. That the king is seated on his throne. He'll reign forever. And we get to be a part of this kingdom. You and I, we know it. My challenge for you and me this morning is not ignore it. Let's not live in ignorance or live as if we don't know it. But this is a truth that has been longed by many men and women throughout the ages. You and I sit with a knowledge that is so precious that Jesus says, Blessed are you because your eyes see. Blessed are you because your ears hear. Now the challenge to me is, Greg, don't get blind. Don't get blind in this world and what this world says the kingdom truly is. Don't get blind by the pursuit of money. Don't get blind by the pursuit of wealth. Don't get blind by the pursuit of power and popularity in this world. Because all of that, Greg, will pass. It will fail and it will fall and it will fade away. But the truth that we know is that the kingdom of God has come and we get to be a part of it. So I want to encourage us this morning with two encouragements and challenges. How ought we to live Knowing that the kingdom of God can be experienced and known right now, what are we, the church, supposed to do about it? And the first comes out of 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Knowing that there's a king, knowing that there's a kingdom, knowing that you and I are citizens of this kingdom, and knowing that the kingdom of God can be tasted and experienced and moving now in this very moment, on this very day, on this earth, 
how ought you and I to live? Well, firstly, we are called to be ambassadors. Ambassadors for Jesus and for his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You and I have been given a title. If you love your business card, add that onto your business card. You could say, I've got a BA in this, and I've got this degree in this, I've got my honors, my masters, and I am an ambassador of Christ. Well, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who is sent somewhere to represent their home nation and to promote it in another place. Let me explain it this way. I'm going to use two simple countries. Country A, country B. Just so that no one will say, I never want to be there and I don't want to live from there. I'm not applying anyone's butts. You can apply country A, whatever you want it to be. Country B, whatever you want it to be. But an ambassador is a citizen. A citizen who belongs to country A. Country A is their identity. It's where they belong. It's their language. It's their culture. It's their home. But when they become an ambassador for country A, they are then sent to go and live in country B. For what purpose? For representing and best promoting their home. Country A. That's their job. You go to country B and you make the most and you promote and you highlight country A, your home. But to do this, and an ambassador to do his or her job well needs to do this. When you go to country B, you need to learn what country B is all about. You need to learn country B's language. You need to learn country B's culture. You need to learn what their people are like. To reach those people best in their home, you need to know what they're like in country B. But here's what an ambassador will not do. As much as you learn their language, as much as you learn their culture, as much as you learn what they like and don't like and their traditions and their superstitions and whatever they celebrate in their holidays, an ambassador will never change their citizenship. They don't become a citizen of country B. They'll never do that. In fact, when their work is done in country B, they're called back home to country A. And nothing in them has changed about their identity, their language, their culture. They know who they are. Well, this analogy, and I hope you've got it. Again, if I've confused you, come see me afterwards, right? But this analogy applies to you and me as Christians, as sons and daughters of God's kingdom. We are citizens of God's kingdom. That's your identity. There's a new identity that you and I take on when we are saved. I've mentioned that. The kingdom of God becomes our home. It's where we belong. It's that language we learn. It's that culture we take on. We ask ourselves, what is the kingdom of God's culture? That's how I ought to live. I should live with mercy and forgiveness. I should believe in grace. I should show generosity. I should show humility. I should show kindness to people and not live for myself. I should love my neighbor just as I am loved. That's some of the culture you and I take on when we become part of God's kingdom. We are called to display the language of God's kingdom, display the culture of God's kingdom. We are called to seek the interest and the benefit of God's kingdom in country B, which is where? This world right now where you and I live. You and I are on this planet, and I believe for this reason, that we would come to know of the home that we're called to belong to. Something that might rattle you this morning and you might need to think about it this week. And again, call me throughout the week. That's my job, that I would help, un- help you understand this. And I need to understand this too. This is not your home. This world that you were born into, 
this world that you live in, that you build your home in, this world that you raise your family in, that you send your children to school in, this world that you vote for political parties, this world that you invest so much into, this is not your home. Because this world will one day pass. But there's a home that awaits for you and me, and we get to be a part of it now, in this world. Country A, the kingdom of God, has taken you and me on. It's given us citizenship. It says you belong here. And God says, but while you're still on this earth, country B, will you do something for me? Will you be an ambassador for my kingdom? Will you tell this world about my culture? Will you tell this world about my language? Will you tell this world about the king that you serve and you follow? Will you tell this world about who I am and what's to come? Will you best represent me and my kingdom in this world that I've asked you to live in until your job is done and I call you back home? Do you believe that? A couple of nods. Maybe we get in there. It's hard. This is hard. But I'm really shaking your identity. I'm really shaking your values. I'm really shaking your purpose. But I tell you what, this is what Scripture says to us. If you are living for this world as your home, I'm telling you now, it will one day fail and pass. Ask every ruler and emperor who built his kingdom beforehand. Ask Nebuchadnezzar, who built this incredible Babylon, and God humbled him like that. And next thing, he's eating with a wild beast. He's eating grass on his knees for seven years till he realizes, God, you are God. I'm not a king. It happens. And God is saying, I'm calling you to be an ambassador. Let me give you another picture quickly. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, Jesus is described as being the true light who comes into this world of darkness. It says there, he's the true light, he comes in, the darkness cannot overcome Jesus. It describes him this way. But then we see in Matthew 5 verse 16, it says this, In the same way, for you and me, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is our role in this world. The world we live in is a world of darkness. As much as you try and promote this world, you'll know this world is fickle, this world is fallen, this world is broken. And I live in this world too, so don't think that I'm just being um, horrible to the world that I live in. I, I get it. But in all honesty, you'll know that this world is falling apart in many, many ways. There are tragedies left, right, and center. There's things you and I cannot explain. This world is a world of darkness. But here's what God says to us. In this dark world... There are people who are lost, there are people who are uncertain, they are blinded, and here's what we are called to do. When we come to know Jesus, we get on, we take on the light of the world. We take on a light that shines in the darkness and that darkness cannot overcome, and the instruction for you and me is that we would walk around in this dark world and shine a light so bright that the world would see it and that the world we believe. In Ephesians 5 verse 8, it says, at one time you were at darkness. But now, you and me, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There's the command. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You are children of light. Walk with the light. We are not called, you and I, we are not called to walk aimlessly in the dark world as well. We are not called to walk lost in this world as well. We're not called to try and fit in with this world and try and blend in as best as we can to this world. No, you and I, we are called to be different. We are called to be light bearers, light carriers in a dark world. So when we meet those who are in darkness, they would say, you have light, you have direction, you have answers, you have hope, you have truth. Show me the way. Show me the way to go. But too many of us, what we try and live by is saying, well, let me just be in the darkness too. Let me not try and cause disruption let me not try and cause offense. So if I just blend in the dark as well, 
I know I'm saved, but the world will not, will not know any better. That's not your call. In fact, the call as an ambassador of Christ is that you'll carry the light of Christ in a dark world and help so many people who are lost and confused and stuck in darkness to see the light in this world. That's the first challenge this morning. Be an ambassador. Be a light of the kingdom of God. Second challenge as we, as we end. We are called to live for the kingdom of God in every single area of our life. This is a big caution, and I fall for this all the time. We need to be aware that we don't try and live with compartmentalizing our life. What we often do is we say, well, this is the spiritual things in my life, and these are the non-spiritual things in my life. And you, you know how you would define what and what. You know what you call spiritual. You've been here at church this morning, this is one of your spiritual elements of life. But maybe when you go out with your friends there, you say, well, that's not quite spiritual. So I'm going to make that the non-spiritual thing of life. And what we do is we try and compartmentalize. The problem is that that that's a trap. It's a trap that you and I can live on. Let me give you a picture to hopefully not confuse you still. Picture a a chest of drawers, right? If you at your home can think of a chest of drawers that you might have. You might have drawers in your kitchen. You might have drawers in your bedroom. In your bedroom, you've got a drawer. The top drawer, maybe you've got your, your, your socks, your underwear. That's where you keep them. Second drawer, you keep your shirts. Third drawer, you keep your shorts. You don't mix them, right? You choose. Each drawer has got a specific function, a specific... Am I wrong, David? Why are you laughing at me? Is it because I said underwear in church? (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Think about your kitchen, right? Let's go to the kitchen, David. Think about your kitchen, right? You've got your knives, your spoons, your forks on the top drawer. Second drawer, you've got all your baking goods. Third drawer, you've got all your, I don't know, your, your, your other stuff. All your dustbin bags and you know. Every guy has got that odd bit drawer, you know, where you've got every battery that supposedly is dead, but you think by some miracle it's going to come back to life. And you've got keys. You don't know where that key belongs to, right? But you got it. You don't have no clue what that key belongs to. You can't throw it away in case one day, by some miracle, you're going to find a lock to some treasure, and that key miraculously belongs to that lock. So you keep it, right? Guys have all got that drawer. I've got, I've got a whole shelf in my cupboard just of that nonsense, Right? But can you see what we do is we compartmentalize, and here's the problem, is that you and I, we do that with our faith. We do that with Christianity. We say, well, this is my spiritual draw, and this is everything else in my life draw. And you feel like they don't mix. You live differently. They don't belong. Here's the example. Take your job as an example. Maybe for the young guys, take school, take college. You might say that you don't enjoy your job. Or your job doesn't feel like it has anything spiritual to it. And so you just do it. You do it because you have to. You do it because you have to earn a salary. You do it because you've got to pay your rent. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to feed your family. So you do that job every single day of the week from 8 to 5. You pay your taxes and this is what you do. But you might not believe that this is spiritual at all. So what you do is you put that in the non-spiritual drawer. This doesn't belong there. And the moment you leave work, maybe that evening you go to life group. Or maybe that evening you go to prayer meeting and you say, ah, now I can open the spiritual drawer. Can you see what you do? You say, my work's not spiritual at all, so I'm not going to be spiritual there. But the moment I leave, the moment I get home, the moment I go to life group, I change the drawer. You put on a different hat. You say, now I'm going to be spiritual because I've left that silly job of mine. I'm no longer at school. I'm no longer at college. I can now close this thing that I don't enjoy at all, and I get to go and do what I believe is for the kingdom of God. That's what we can think. This is wrong. Think about your hobbies or think about your leisures. You might say, well, they feel a bit selfish, isn't it? 
that I'll spend so much time riding my bike, or I'll spend so much time reading books and novels that aren't the Bible. I'm going to spend so much time just spending time with friends. And you might feel, this doesn't feel spiritual. What is this doing for God's kingdom? What is this doing for the church? So what you do is you keep a separate drawer. And you say, well, that's not churchy, is it? But when I go to my life group, ah, that's my spiritual drawer. I'll open that drawer. But when I'm with my friends and we go to um, a, 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 a news cafe or something, and I drink a little bit of alcohol, which isn't a problem, but hey, that's not the spiritual drawer. Close the spiritual drawer. Open the non-spiritual drawer. Do you see what we do? That's wrong. And I'll tell you why it's wrong. Because what can often happen is we respond in two different ways sometimes. Some of us will live licentiously. That means we live just, just this abandoned freedom. You're happy there's two drawers. You're happy because you're happy that there's a drawer that doesn't influence your spiritual drawer. You're happy that when you open up the non-spiritual drawer, you could just go wild and go crazy. You could even sin. But you know that when you open up the spiritual drawer, it will forgive you for the non-spiritual drawer that you have. I've said draw a lot. I hope you're still with me. (laughs) But you're happy that you have them because the spiritual draw allows you to have the non-spiritual draw. It it makes your conscience feel at peace. That's wrong. That's not how God's called you to live. A lot of you, you might live with guilt. And that's why you want a spiritual, uh, that's why you want two draws. You hate it that your job, you feel, doesn't glorify God. You'd rather just become a missionary. Because only missionaries glorify God in what they do. That's what you might think. And so you feel guilty that there's two drawers. You feel guilty that you go and ride the bike. You feel guilty that you read a novel that has not got anything to do with Christianity. You feel guilty that you watch TV shows. You feel guilty that you spend time with friends and family. You feel guilty. So you've created the second drawer just to appease that guilt or just to allow the guilt to stay there. But when you close it, the spiritual drawer, that's where you want to be. Again, that's wrong. And I'll tell you why it's wrong. Let me give you two verses. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, you are called to freedom. So for those of us in guilt, you're free. You're called to freedom. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Those who live licentiously, you're not called to live wildly and in sin. God says, don't do that. You're called to a freedom. Don't live in guilt, but you're not called now to just satisfy your flesh. You're not called to that either. But then in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Paul says this. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all of it, all of it for the glory of God. Using the description in here, what Jesus is saying, he wants us to have one draw. There ought to be one draw in your life. And that draw, whether you call it spiritual or non-spiritual, that draw is you belonging to the kingdom of God. Everything you do in life ought to be as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, or to be as a light bearer for the kingdom of God. Everything that God has given you in this life, your family is for the kingdom of God. Your friends, whether they believe in God or not, when you're with them, you don't change who you are. You're still an ambassador of God. You're still a light in this world, and you still get to be an impact in their lives. The kingdom of God is there. When you're doing your hobby, God gives us hobbies. God gives us joy. God gives us pleasures. God gives us finances to use for our own purpose. God gives us rest. So if you feel guilty that you rest so much, and it is a bit subjective what so much is, who's laughing there? Somebody has a lot of rest. But God gave us rest. He said, this is for you. This is good. Enjoy it. Don't feel guilty. You say, Lord, I had a nap this Sunday afternoon. I could have been on my knees praying. No, God said, I gave you rest. Now rest and enjoy it and glorify me in your rest. And the kingdom of God is there. The point I want to encourage us with as a close, in everything we do, 
You're a citizen of God. Everywhere you are, the kingdom of God is there to be revealed. It's in your midst because you carry the spirit within you. You carry the power, the authority, the identity of Christ in you. At your job, whether you like it or not, whether your boss is kind or not, there you are taking the kingdom of God there every single day. If you're at school, to our kids at school, every day you get to take the kingdom of God into a place where perhaps the kingdom of God can always be. But you being there, the kingdom of God is there. When you're with your friends, when you're with your family, they might all be atheists, the kingdom of God is there. Why? Because you're there. And you're an ambassador. You're a light in the darkness. And they'll see the light. And they'll see their blindness. And they'll say, you know a truth that I want. Here's my encouragement, church. You and I, we get to know the kingdom of God right now. We get to experience the kingdom of God right now. You and I get to taste and see and acknowledge the kingdom of God right now. But the fact that we know it is not enough. You and I are called. We are called to represent the kingdom of God right now, everywhere we go. Take away all your drawers. Don't compartmentalize your life. If it's not of God, it shouldn't be there in the first place. Get rid of it. But if it is of God's peace, you going on holiday, that's good. Have rest. But God's kingdom is there too. Do your work. Earn your salary. Buy those things that make you feel happy. Do the hobbies that make you feel joy. Be with people that you can influence their lives. But everywhere you are, as an ambassador of Christ, as a bearer of light, the kingdom of God is there. Can I ask you to stand and we pray?